Welcome to the Glasgow Baptist Podcast, where each week we bring you the message from our Sunday morning worship service with Pastor Erdie Carter. We want to help you apply biblical truth to your daily life. Well, let me invite you to take your Bibles and go with me to Galatians, Galatians chapter 4. Uh, as you're turning there, if you've got a Bible, if you've got an app, whatever, turn, turn there to Galatians 4. As you're turning there, uh, let me remind you, we've been in this series uh, called Freedom, Living the Life that Christ Set for Us. And so uh, today we're going to continue in that. We're in the Galatians 4. We're, we've got just a couple more weeks in this series before we, we jump over. And, and next series is going to be in the book of Ruth. So I'm going to give you that heads up. Have you, ever, have you ever just kind of been on the wrong page with somebody? You know, you, you were trying to figure out how y'all were going to meet to, to do something, or you were trying to get directions, and it just things weren't going well. Well, Charles Wendell tells a story in his book, Simple Faith, about a lady who was in an airport, and she had some time to kill, and so... She decides to, to go buy one of those, those places that you can pick up some snacks, waters, and those types of things. So she buys a pack of cookies. Goes, finds a table, and she sits down and wants to read the paper before the, the flight. And so she's sitting there, and she's reading her newspaper. And a guy, a well-dressed guy, comes and sits down at the table on the other side of her. And uh, she doesn't pay any attention to him, but she's reading the paper. And all of a sudden, she hears her pack of cookies open. She kind of drops the paper and looks. He's opened her cookies and just casually took one. Well, she didn't want to be rude. But she thought, who in the world are you? I don't even let my husband do that, you know. And, and she pulls, pulls the cookie back. Takes one for herself. She's eating her cookie, reading her paper. A few minutes later, she hears the rustling of the, the cookie bag again. The guy took, takes another cookie. Well, Dag on him. So she grabs another one. She's not going to let him eat all her cookies. Comes down to the last one. The guy takes her last cookie, breaks it in half, and pushes half to back to her. And she snagged that half a cookie and ate it. It's about time for a flight. She runs down to the gate to get on her flight. She opens her purse to get her ticket out for the flight attendant. And in her purse was that bag of cookies that she bought. And she goes, oh my goodness. Well, all those things I thought, now he's in the airport going, who does that woman think she is? You know, it's just miscommunication. It's just not on the same page. It's not, we just, we just missed the mark. Well, throughout the, the letter to the church at Galatia, that's been the conversation that Paul's had with them. In fact, if you've been with us or if you've read the, the, the letter to the church at Galatia, you know Paul has had some rough conversations with them. He, he's He's been very stern with them. I mean, at one time he calls them foolish for their actions. All of it is, is they've come to faith in Christ, and, and then after coming to faith in Christ, after Paul leaves, they, they go on their journey to grow as a believer, but in the, in the meantime, 
There's a group of Jews who come and say, oh, yes, you have to have faith in Christ. But now that you're in the club, now that you're a member, you need to do these things. You've got to obey the law of Moses. You've, you've got to follow all these rules and regulations. Oh, yes, Jesus is the answer. But once you get Jesus, you've got all these other things you've got to do. And Paul's been writing to them and going, no, you know better than that. What foolish people, who, who led you down that path? Well, today we make a turn. Today we make a turn in the letter because Paul begins now in the next couple chapters you see his heart because now he begins to, to share with them just what it means now to live out for Christ. I mean, chapter 3, it was all about the grace and the gospel. Let's understand, there's, there's just the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it is by that grace that you're saved. And now in chapter 4, he, he makes this turn. And he makes this turn and he reminds them that they're no longer slaves. They're no longer slaves, but they're sons and daughters. Actually, the text says they're sons and I add the daughters because that's what the text means, sons and daughters. Although the sonship is the, the word that's often used. And it means both men and women. So, you know, ladies don't get upset because you've been called somewhat of a man. Men are called the bride of Christ at times. So, I mean, it's a, it's a give and take. But this morning what I want you to see is what it really looks like to live out. To to, to put our faith into action, to realize that we're no longer slaves to this world, but we are God's children. So if you have Bibles and if you're at Galatians chapter 4, we're going to read verses 4 through 9. Would you stand as we honor the reading of God's holy word? And today, just for those of you who are, who are with us all the time, you know I normally read out of the uh, Christian Standard Bible today. It'll be the New Living Translation, just like how how this translation uh, speaks these words. So, beginning in verse 4. But when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law, so that he could adopt us as his very own children. And because we are his children, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. Now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God made you his heir. Before you Gentiles knew, God, you were slaves. The so-called gods that do not even exist. So now that you know God, or so I say, now that God knows you, why do you want to go back again and become slaves once more to the weak and useless spiritual principles of this world? You may be seated. In these few verses here, Paul gives us some directions on how we are to live, some some understanding of what it looks like to be children of God. And so this morning, here's the big idea I want you to catch with me. The big idea is our relationship with God should reflect a loving family versus a ruler and subject. 
Catch this. Because we are in a relationship, because Christ died on a cross, and if you're here and you confess Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you now are a part of the family. And the family is a loving family. But before that, to be honest, we were just subjects. We were just slaves to a ruler. And so this morning, let me give you three things that we find that that helps us unpack this text. The first one is simply this. You see, we've got to see ourselves as children, not slaves to God. In order to live out for God, in order to understand that we are sons and daughters, you've got to see yourselves as children of God and not slaves. There's a difference between a child of God and a slave. We understand a slave has to obey a master. We understand from from our history books, we understand from from Scripture that, that a slave had no real rights. They were just to do as they were commanded. But see, as children, we're a part of a family. As children, we come into this recognizing there is this God who loves us unconditionally. There's this moment in which as we are children, we are part of something. And Paul wants to remind us that even the Gentiles and and all of us in this room are are Gentiles, that, that Christ came or that The law of Moses came for Jews. They were the chosen people. But it was because of Christ and his love for humanity that the gospel came to even Gentiles so that we could become part of the family. And so so you have to see yourselves as children and not a slave. A slave doesn't get to have input. A slave doesn't get much attention. A slave has to earn its keep. Children, however, take on a new identity. Children become a part of the family. And over and over in this text, Paul speaks about adoption. Many of you know that Drew, our son, is adopted from Guatemala. We we were blessed to, to bring him home the day before he turned five months old. But, but in, 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 in his adoption, we had a conversation this week. He asked if we had to do something. I've done forgot what it was. And we said, yes. I think it was to go before a judge. And it was, yes, because he was getting a new identity. But even Drew, being adopted, it doesn't, doesn't add up to what Paul is talking about. For see, Drew's adopted into a broken, sin-filled family. And don't, don't misunderstand me. We're not, we don't have problems and things like that. We're, we love God and we, we are striving every day to live for God. But at the same time, we're still sinners. But when we're adopted into God's family and we take on his identity, we're made new. All the sin is gone. Christ paid the ultimate price. And so, when we see ourselves as children, not slaves, 
we begin that relationship of understanding what it is that God wants us to live or how it is God wants us to live. The second thing I want you to catch, actually, go ahead. Yeah, I, I forgot I had Romans. Romans 15 tells us this, 8, 15. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into the fear. Instead, you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. I love that. The spirit of himself testifies together with our spirit that we are what, church? God's children. We are God's children. That's what happens. When you see yourself... As children of God, there's the point that Paul makes that God sent his son, but he also sent the Holy Spirit into the lives of people. That's what happens to make us children of God. Now the second point I want you to catch. Understand you are heirs instead of employees to God. You're heirs and not employees. There's a difference in employees. Now, now don't. Don't misunderstand me. I know that there are people who are employees who are great employees. And I don't, this is not a, this is not a slam on being an employee. But, but there, you've got more at stake when you're an heir than you are an employee. When you're an heir, you realize you're going to inherit something. You're going to get something. You're going to be a part of something. When you're an employee, you're just working for the man or the woman. You're just, you're just, doing a task and sometimes employees they don't really care because there's nothing at stake for them in fact a few years ago um, Newsweek published uh, a list that came out that was uh, this company who oversees sees um, uh, reports that people turn in for for reimbursements they, they have this they have this task, you know, auditors look and things. So they were looking at the most, most uh, reimbursements, the silliest reimbursements that people came up with. And I, I, I looked at the list and laughed. I mean, some of the things I'm thinking, who sees these expense reports because somebody should have re red flagged it before they ever paid the person. But whatever company, they paid them. So let me give you the, the, my four favorites that I found in this, uh, that employees try to do. Pink flamingos for lawn ornaments was, um, was on a list. And it was on a list for, for like, uh, bank investors. You want to explain how a pink flamingo would be, could make for an expense report? And, and that was the thing. As the company looked into these, there was, there was real no explanation of how these would fit together. The second one, laser tattoo removal. Somebody thought they, could, they would look better on their job if they didn't have their tattoos. And so they figured a way out to do the expense report to remove their tattoos by letting the company pay for it. And genius, I guess, they got it done. Uh, go ahead. Cognac. Now, I don't know anything about this. But I'm told uh, in the report it said that was a $1,300 bottle that the employee says, I just needed something to drink. So he would sip on the cognac all day long for $1,300 on, on, the, on the company's dime. My favorite one is this, a trip for a job interview. <laughs> they didn't like the company they were working with, 
So they were going to interview someplace else, and they wrote the trip off on the expense report of the other company that they didn't like. Here's the thing. When you're an employee, you don't always worry about how things go. You're not worried about what happens at the end. You're not worried about the company being successful. When you're an heir, you've got something at stake. You've got something that, that, that matters to you. You want to see things succeed. You want to make sure things go well. As an heir, you know you've got a part to play. It's like membership at a church. Membership of the church um, has this, this involvement piece. In fact, we were at a conference this week and one church calls their membership class an ownership class because the reality is we need to take ownership because we are part of the body of Christ. We are what makes up the church. And so as you walk down the hall and you see things, you say, well, that's, that's my room. When you walk outside and you see garbage, that's my garbage. I need to pick it up before my guests see it. But there's a, a guest in my house. I, I need to, I need to in, in, introduce myself. See, when you're an heir, there is a, there's a part of you that's involved. Now look at this verse for me. First Peter says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in the heavens for you. In other words, there's something awaiting because you are a part of the family of God. You are going to receive this inheritance. But look what happens here. The next verse, Romans 8, 17 says, And if children also heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. Catch that. Being a part of the family doesn't mean that there won't be heartaches. Doesn't mean you won't suffer. The truth of the matter is we suffer with him. But in our suffering, we'll also be glorified with him. That's what happens as heirs. That we are a part of something much greater that God has for us. So the third thing I want you to catch from our text. Is you're driven by devotion rather than duty towards God. Driven by devotion rather than duty. Look for a moment at verse 6 with me again. Verse 6 says, because we are his children, God sent his spirit of, of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, what? Abba, Father. Abba, Father. In the, in the English translation, that Abba means daddy. It's an intimate term. It's an intimate relationship that we have. And that intimate relationship drives us to have a devotion rather than duty. 
Because if, if it's just about duty, then we come to a place in our life and go, I really don't want to do it. Now, that's too hard. But if it's devotion, we'll do whatever's necessary to make it happen. Uh, my, my parents were on vacation last week um, and uh, came home uh, early, a day early. <laughs> they went to Florida like many people and it was cold the whole time and raining. And so they came back a day early. While they were gone, they were having some work done at their house, uh, putting in some new floors and those types of things. And so uh, they came back a day early. We were going to go up Friday to help move all the furniture back in, in the bedrooms and those types of things, set up beds. And since they came back a day early, I called my father on Wednesday and said, hey, do you need any help tomorrow when you get home? No, we got it. Dad, are you sure? We, you know, we'll be glad. No. Thursday, I call him again. You know, I've, I've, got, some, I've got some great parents who can do a lot, but, you know, I hit a marker next uh, this year that I'm going to celebrate. Some of you are going to try to make fun of me, but I'm going to celebrate it. Uh, which that means my parents are quite a bit older. And they don't need to be moving furniture by themselves. So on Thursday, I called Dad and said, are, are you sure? I, I don't mind. I can leave out of Glasgow about 2.30, 3 o'clock, and I, I come. Well, if you, if you don't, I know you're busy, but if you don't mind. No, Dad, I don't mind. Now, here's the thing. My Thursday kind of got away from me. I left here at 3 o'clock, left, left some things undone for, for, for Sunday. Laura needed some things. Then I, then I got into a small project that kind of made a mess. And so, but I left here at 3 o'clock, drove to Elizabethtown, spent time with my family, and then came back. And I came back when I was 8.30. I got back to town. I pulled right back in the parking lot, and I come back in here because there were still things left to do. I had to get some things done for Laura. For, I had, had some things that I'd, messes that I'd created I needed to, to fix. And I worked until I think I left here at 11. If it's duty, I can promise you I'm not going to do that. I'm going to look at my parents and go, you find somebody. Why would I drive an hour out of my way both ways to, to do that? But it's because it's devotion. You do whatever it needs to be done. And it's the same way with the kingdom of God. When we love God out of our devotion, when we see God as our daddy, our heavenly daddy, we do things out of devotion that we might not do otherwise. We, we get up on Sunday morning and it's, it's a beautiful Sunday morning to sit in because it's raining outside, the rain is hitting the tin roof and we're cozy and warm and, and we could just stay at home. But our devotion to God says, no, we got to go and worship with the family of faith. Duty says, hey, when they call, I'm busy. I, I, why is the nominating committee calling me? I don't want to do anything. I like sitting in my pew. Devotion says, how can I serve? And duty says, 
Daggone it, why, why do they have to ask for money? Why, why do we have to put money in the plate? Why do we have to give? But devotion says, God, you gave it, I'll give it back. You see, when there's a devotion for God, we'll do anything God asks. But when we see God as our master, it's just duty. So the question is, how do you see God? Do you see him as your heavenly daddy, or do you see him as some master ruler who lords over you? Do you see him as somebody that you fearful that if you step out of line, that he'll zap? Or do you see him as the loving father who welcomes us in his arms? The thing is that happened to the church was they started here. And they begin to slide, just like many of us. So let me give you two things that helps you from the slide so that you don't have to slide. The first one is daily see God as your father. Daily see God as your father. That's not a, oh, it's Sunday, I got to go worship dad. It's every day recognizing God is your heavenly father. God is the one who saved you, redeemed you. Now, here's the thing. There are people who struggle with seeing God as a loving father because on this side of eternity, on this earth, they've not had a loving father to give them an example. What they've experienced in their house is a, a father who was mean, abusive, hurtful, said ugly things, did ugly things. And so to think about this, this God being our Father, we, we just struggle with that. And here, here's what I want you to see. Your Heavenly Father is not a reflection of your earthly Father. Your Heavenly Father is a reflection of love, grace, and mercy. What your earthly Father should have reflected, but didn't. Jesus says this in Matthew, Matthew's gospel. He says, who among you, if his son asked for bread, would give him a stone? Or if he asked for a fish, would give him a snake? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Listen. Even the, the earthly fathers who don't understand God, don't see God, don't even acknowledge God, many of them understand what it means to give a good gift. And if they understand that, how much more can, will God give? See, every day we've got to see God as our Father. Which leads to the second thing. Constantly work to improve your relationship with God. Constantly work to improve that relationship with God. Here's the thing I, I will tell you um, that, that I learn all the time. Every relationship requires attention. Every relationship requires attention. If you're going to have a relationship, it's got to, you're, it's going to require attention. Because if you don't give that relationship attention, there is no relationship it begins to fall apart. 
Husbands, if you don't love your wife, if, if, if you just coexist, it begins to fall apart. If you don't interact with your children, they grow to resent you, hate you. If, if you're dating, you've got to pay attention. And, and it's interesting, in our dating relationships, we're all the time paying attention. But then as time goes on, sometimes we forget. Same way with God. Too often, people tell the story of coming to know Christ and falling in love with Christ and reading God's Word and constantly improving that relationship. But then as time goes on, they look and go, well, you know, I really, I, I know the Gospels. Well, yeah, I've read that before. Let me just skip that. And what happens is the relationship with God continues to, to suffer because, not because God's walking away from you, but you're walking away from God. It's like the couple riding down the road. You've heard me say this story. You've heard it a thousand times. You'll catch the punchline before I even give it. The guy, the, the lady looks at her husband and says, you remember when we used to ride down these country roads? We used to be a whole lot closer. A few minutes later, the husband looks at the wife and said, well, I haven't moved a bit. God hadn't moved a bit. We have. We've done the moving. We've made a drift. Paul, Paul writes to the church and he as he has scolded them on their, their moving, he comes to them in chapter 4 and following to remind them, come back. Remember, you are a child of God. You're not given to this world. Would you bow your heads with me for just a moment? This morning, I just want to ask you for just a brief second. Where are you in your relationship with God? If you think about it and you think about where you've been, are you right where God wants you to be or have you drifted? Have you bought into things of this world that says, hey, you can go and do all these other things and God will still be there and God will still love you? The truth of the matter is God does still love you. He may not love where you are at the moment, but he still loves you. Chances are, maybe you've drifted. Maybe today you just needed to hear to remember that you are a child of God. And that you need to work at that relationship. So in just a moment before we sing our hymn of invitation, before we give you a chance to respond, let me, let me just ask you, just nobody looking around, all heads bowed and eyes closed. If you would say this morning, hey, I have drifted and I just would like you to pray for me, would you just slip that hand up right where you are? Right there. Just hold it for just a second. Let me catch you. Thank you. I see that. Thank you. If, if you just want prayer this morning, just say, would you just pray for me? Thank you. This morning, 
Let me just remind you. We serve a God who's not changed. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He loves you. He desires you. He's just like the prodigal father sitting on the porch waiting for us to respond and say, yes, I'm coming home, Dad. Today, you can do that. If you're here this morning, you've never confessed Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. Today, we invite you to do that. If there's another decision, would you do that? But right now, I want to pray for those who raise their hand. I want to pray that God would encounter you this week, encourage you, remind you that you're His. Father, 